American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Richard Marks sucks. Sounds like a purse that would shape like a vagina. That's the greatest name ever. Leo Jellison. I'm Leo Jellison, bitch. Welcome to another episode of American, American Timelines. I'm Amy. And I'm Grover Cleveland Steamer. Oh, back to that, huh? Oh, yeah, it's back because Grover Cleveland Steamer is the greatest name of all time. Okay. A lot I, of people. some debate on that topic. No, no, it's the coolest name because it's like Grover Cleveland from yeah. history and then it's a Cleveland Steamer. Right, we don't need to go into that. It's just the coolest name. So I'm Grover Cleveland Steamer. You know what? Why play around with other names when you got it from the beginning? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people miss that. Nobody missed that. Nobody said, came up to you and said they missed that. <laughs> I didn't say anybody nope. came up to me. Nobody's nobody's missing anything. I've been getting a lot of... No, um, you've been getting nothing. <laughs> tweets. You've been getting no tweets. You're sad about it. I miss it. Don't you miss Grover Cleveland Steamer? No, I, I don't. My name is Grover Cleveland Steamer, y'all. Okay, my name is Joe. Yes. And I am Amy's husband. And we this, are a happily married couple who fall more in love with each other every single day. Okay, so this is the podcast that brings you all the crazy, podcast. nostalgic events from pop culture history year by year. Yeah. And neither one of us could find anybody else to do a podcast with, so we're forced to do it no, together. No, that's not why. That's, <laughs> you asshole. Just kidding. No, we love each other, and we both like podcasts. All right, we already went through this. Amy likes true crime. I like everything else. Everybody knows. And so it's a struggle. And so what we do is Amy talks about a murder, and then I sprinkle in Why what was going ex- on in the world. Why are you explaining the time. podcast again? Because you didn't explain it very good. Oh, my God. All right. Because well, maybe it's a new listener. So tonight we are talking <laughs> about 1976. Yes, we're on to a new year. Right. The 70s were nuts. So what's the first event? So the first, first thing, I'll just, you know, as I like to ease into the new year, I like to tell you about some things that I just... I tried and I failed. I couldn't find dates for. Okay. So it just gives you an ambiance of things. All right. What is of it? Of what's happening in 76. Mm-hmm. But first, we're going to start with the number one song where we left off. Well, before we do that. What? You know the big thing about about 1976. Oh, yeah. It was the uh, Bicentennial. That's right. Oh, yeah. That was the entire year was just. And I remember the. It's very faint memory. But I do remember like the all the American flags. Everything had American flags all over it. You know what I remember about 1976? You were being born, coming out of being your mom's... born. Coming out of your mom's twat. Coming out of my mom's vagina. All right, so... I actually don't remember that, but my birthday was four days away, or six days away from the bicentennial. bicentennial. My mom always told me that it was. I was born on July 10th of 1976. She said, on July Great, 4th... Great, now people can get your personal information. Oh, no, shit. Luckily, if they just look up Grover Cleveland Steamer, July 4th, 1970, July 10th, 1976... They'll know who it is. I'm screwed. Um, here's the thing. My mom said while she was in, in pregnant for me mm-hmm. on July 4th, that she thought she would get paid if she had a baby. Like she thought I'd be famous and then everyone would give her money for having a baby. Why would she think <laughs> that? I don't know. Did she know how many million people were probably born that day? It was the seventies and she was on a lot of weed, I guess. It's something. Of, she just thought that she would get like local paper and then they would pay her for interviews and stuff. And <laughs> so she ran, she sprinted around the block nine months, pregnant, 10 months pregnant. To try to have a yep. baby? She's sprinting around the block. She'd gotten a boxing match. Like she, she did, did not. Now you're wheel. starting to make some stuff she up. She joined the Toledo Tough Man contest. 
No, that didn't happen. No, she did a lot of stuff. So uh, this is the year I was born, but when, as you go into the year, um, as we left off at the end of 1975, the Staple Singers, mm-hmm. as we talked about, were the number one song. And I, f- I do have to say, I feel like we let down our fans. Oh. I did, specifically. I didn't look okay. up like the last like four or five songs. I didn't even have any trivia about them. I usually oh. like, put a little bit of the trivia. I didn't have anything about them. Okay. It would help us get through the episode, but there's some big things. I looked up, and I'm sorry, but the Staple Singers, Let's Do It Again, we mm-hmm. didn't even talk about this, was from a movie called Let's Do It Again. Oh, really? Yeah, a movie starring Sidney Poitier. Oh. Bill Cosby, before he raped anyone. You don't know that. I hope he wasn't raping anyone back then. I'm sure he was. Before he before he found out he was raping everybody, I really wanted to go back and watch all the movies where he had those big sideburns and stuff. Oh, and yeah. Because like, he looked like a cool cat. Too bad he was raping everyone. But guess who else was in this movie with those two? Who? Jimmy Walker. Oh, really? Yep. Jimmy J.J. Walker played a boxer. He didn't play that same character? <laughs> he, probably, he probably yelled dynamite a bunch of times. but um, it, He's one of those that I feel like that's the only character he could do. Yeah, yeah, he probably is just that. It yeah. was a comedy film directed and starring. Sydney, oh, it was a directed comedy. Directed by Sidney Poitier. He totally was being Jimmy. Yeah, and Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby and Jimmy Walker. Uh, it's about a blue about blue collar workers who decide to rig a boxing match to raise money for the fraternal lodge. Mm-hmm. And so that song was in it in the beginning and the end. The, Let's do it again. All right. Um, and I think Jimmy Walker plays the boxer because okay. if you look at the picture, it's, uh, it looks like him. Uh, mm, man, but. Now, I bet you can't see that movie because Bill Cosby decided to rape everybody. Yeah, So I that know. Sidney Poitier should be pissed. I'm sure he is. So should Jimmy Walker. Do you, you think he drugged and raped Jimmy Walker? I don't think Jimmy Walker was his type. Maybe not. But anyway, that song was the number one song as we move into 76. Let's do it again. All right, what's next? And the, the, the let's see. Let's see other things that happened January 1st. Um 1976 would be the year the inkjet printer was invented. Oh. It was the year the word meme was first used. I wonder when the first year somebody put their butt cheeks on the printer. Well, that I'm sure that same year. I'm sure as soon as the inkjet printer came out, somebody printed their butt immediately. Yeah. Uh, 76 was the year Andre the Giant set the world record for number of beers consumed in a single sitting by, oh, you're by drinking 119 12-ounce beers in six hours. Oh, my God. That's roughly, I think we did that in Chicago. <laughs> that's <laughs> roughly two gallons of beer an hour. Holy crap. That's a lot of beers. He was a big man, so I guess he could do he it. He a giant man. And that, of course, it's not verified. We can't f- I couldn't find the date because it was like, oh, Dusty Rhodes was there, but he was probably drunk too, baby. Yeah. Dusty Rhodes, baby. Um, in 1976, doctors in L.A. went on a strike. That actually happened on the first. I'll do that. A couple other things. The, the Trick's mm-hmm. Rabbit yeah. was finally, this was the... Uh, first time the Trix Rabbit was allowed to eat tricks. Oh, and we covered I this remember in the covering 19- the 1980s. Yeah, what? we did the 1980 episode. So the two years are 1976 and 1980 were the two years that they did a, a vote. The kids could vote. And all both times the kids said, yes, let them eat it. Because fuck. We're tired of it. Of him we're not, sick of the, the strife. It's like torture. It's like abusing an animal. But his but well, it was just the the strife and the warfare so of it all. His first it was a blood, it was like a bloody battle that, to get those fucking tricks. That tricks rabbit's first taste uh, was it was a bowl that was partially consumed in 1976. He dressed up as a balloon seller. Oh, so somebody had been eating it, so he didn't even get fresh tricks. No, he he started eating it, but then it got taken away from him. Because listen, the, the tricks rabbit dressed up as a balloon seller to trade balloons to kids in exchange for a full bowl of tricks. As he gobbled up spoonfuls of raspberry red, lemony yellow, and orangey orange flavors in excitement. The rope belt broke that tied him to the balloon stand. Tree branches overhead popped the balloons, and the rabbit landed on the ground in front of the kids. And then the kids said, 
silly rabbit tricks are for kids, and they ran off with a cereal box. They didn't get any more. Yeah, fucking kids. Like a few bites. But you know, I wonder. It, I was trying to think. It was tricks one of the ones that they had to take a color out because they found out it was like had all those preservatives or toxins in it or whatever. You know, that's a perfect segue. It's funny you mentioned that. Yeah. Because I was gonna go on and say maybe the maybe these kids were screamed at by adults like don't you ever give your cereal to a rabbit you mother you know like maybe that's yeah. why they were so but it's funny you mentioned that um the colors that had to go away because red m&ms went away in 1976 oh they did yep oh wow that's the year red m&ms went away well there you go that's from, what i was thinking of from 76 all the way to 86 that's 10 years without red m&ms yeah i remember i didn't ever think there were red M&Ms. yeah i never i, I didn't either not ever seen so when they Put them, brought them in '86. I was like, "Holy shit! Wow, my God, red M&M's that's great! I can't believe it." Yeah. But I didn't know why they didn't have them. I didn't know they used to have them. But in the 1950s, several children became gravely ill after eating Halloween candy containing red number two. In 1950s. In the 1950s, uh, but the, the dye was subsequently exonerated of any blame. But the FDA continued testing through the 60s, concluding each time that red number two had no significant influence on the formulation of tumors in lab animals. It was all, by all accounts, safe and acceptable. But then, in 1970, mm-hmm. a group of Russian scientists ignited a red-tinted shitstorm. What? Mo- <laughs> Did mo- you write that? <laughs> I honestly, I don't remember where I got this from. Uh, it couldn't be on Wikipedia. I, I forgot to write down the... I thought that was something you made up. No, I, I think I got this from an article somewhere. But uh, the Moscow Institute, Institute of Nutrition study... Mm-hmm fed male rats controlled doses of amarath over a period of 33 months and found that 13 of 50 developed tumors. The following year, a second Russian study done with female rats resulted in a high percentage of stillbirths and deformities. Though American scientists immediately rejected the Russian study methodology, the FDA took serious action and ordered further investigation. Over the next four years, a series of equally flawed American tests ensued. Finally, in 1975, the FDA commissioned a definitive study to determine whether or not red number two had carcinogenic effects. What ensued was what, 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 ensued was what one scientist called the lousiest experiment he had ever seen in his life. The okay. scientist originally in charge of the experiment left the agency midway through. Handlers mixed up the rats, blurring the distinction between those given dye and those not, and most of the rats that died during the experiment were left to rot in their cages. Oh, my God. By all accounts, the evidence was inconclusive, if not an incoherent mess. So the, they just decided to outlaw it just in case? Yep. So then they said, oh, it, it has no apparent adverse effects, but then they contradicted it because a statistician from another government agency... Uh, thought it what did and it was just all it was just went back and forth yeah. no it's safe no it's not safe no it's safe no it's not safe and so they all just decided let's just ban it yeah together um okay so it's all speculation that's weird that that was the story right after the one yeah and then i, I mentioned thought you that. saw it I no you saw it i can't see from here it's a good se- segue yeah um all right what's next anyway so then red went away and that's all, all that matters um yeah oh but you know what you know what they replaced red with what? Orange. Oh. Orange apparently wasn't in there until then. Oh, that would have been weird. Yeah. Right. Do you remember being a kid? Do you ever see that commercial with M&M's where kids were playing baseball and if they ate a certain M&M, it would give them a certain no. base? Like, Are you sure that's not a game you played with your brothers? No. Yellow, like green M&M's gave you a home run. Yellow M&M's were a triple. Oh. Orange, I think, were a double. I don't remember that at all. Maybe that I was think that was a dream you had. Maybe it was just something I a dream you had. played. Well, on January 1st, 1976, doctors in Los Angeles went on strike. 
Oh. And the mortality rate dropped 18%. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of shitty. It's not weird. So it's like, oh, the doctors go away and, and nobody's nobody dying. dies. Yeah, it's a lot That's of... weird. So, I wonder why that happened. So And then there's, so there's been studies like, oh, there's all kinds of different times where doctors went on strike and that happens every time. So it, it does? So it people to believe like, oh, geez, doctors are shitty. They're killing everybody. But if you dig a little bit into it, you'll see Is that... it that people, people wait to die until there's a doctor? No, it's... Well, a lot of it is that you know, uh, in the area, everyone moves to other hospitals and stuff, and the doctors are on strike, so then they go out to the oh, then they Los go to another suburbs, another city. Also, people postpone their surgeries, and so yeah. if you think of all the people that die during surgery, that's true. Like those surgeries weren't happening, so yeah. that that changes the rate. I'm not that everybody dies during surgery, but you're you know a lot of people do. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's kind of not as cut and dry as oh shit, doctors are terrible. Yeah, and then January third. The Bay City Rollers. Roll the Bay in. City Rollers. Take over the billboard number one Oh, spot. what song do they sing? Saturday night. Something about Saturday night. S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y. Night. S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y. Night. I can't stop this feeling. Yeah. That's not how it starts. No. Um, You're thinking of Uka Chaka. Yeah, Uka Chaka Uka. But you know how that goes, right? Yeah. So I don't yeah. need to play it, or should I? Anyway, that... Um, I'm not even going to play it because I I got to tell you about the Bay City Rollers. Like, yeah, I looked them up for some reason. I just wanted to see who they were. If anybody wanted anything else, and they all have had like curses. It's like they've all had horrible things happen to them. Okay. Um, and I'll just go through each person in the Bay City Rollers and what happened to them. So that song was sung by Nobby Clark. Okay. Before the Bay City Rollers made it big, and then Nobby Clark left the band, and then they made it big. So that guy. Oh, but he's a singer? He was the singer of that, but then he left the band, and then they made it big, and then they toured without Nobby Clark doing it, I guess. Okay. Um, So they had all kinds of uh, uh, problems between uh, from life-threatening illnesses to drug addiction and gay affairs. Oh, Eric Faulkner in 2015 almost died when he contracted viral encephalitis. In 2015, though, right? In 2015, so yeah. years later. Yeah. I guess if you if you have enough years, everybody's gonna everybody's gonna have to something. Him. Yeah. But uh, so but he just had a virus and he got post encephalitic syndrome. Well, encephalitis is serious it's shit. It's serious. It's like I mean, you're it's like you your Parkinson's. Your brain like swells. You even, and yeah, stuff. it's all swollen. His brain was swollen and everything just from a an illness. Yeah. Um. What's this guy's name? Something McCown. Um, oh, Les McCown. Mm-hmm. He battled his own illnesses, including alcohol and drug addiction, leading to a shocking confession on a TV show that briefly ended his marriage to his Japanese wife, Pico. He confessed to a string of gay affairs behind his wife's back, <laughs> as well as a horrific date rape he endured when he was just 19. He talked about that on a game show? Yeah. On a game on a show. TV show. A TV oh, show. I thought you said it was a game show. No. Um, can you imagine that? Uh, by the way, Richard, uh, <laughs> let me tell you about this time I was raped when I was a kid. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I had some gay affairs with my Asian wife, and, and I was uh, date raped. Uh, and then I'll take 5000 for potent potables. Potent potables. <laughs> it's always potent potables. Yeah. Alan Longmuir, Longmuir mm-hmm. uh, whose brother Derek was also part of the original lineup of the band, mm-hmm. uh, he went on to a... A new career when they split up, training as a nurse and working at Edinburgh Royal Infirmary. That's not very tragic. But in 2000, he was sentenced to 300 hours of community service after admitting possessing child pornography. Oh, him and uh, who was the guy from the Who that? There was a guy from the Who that watched child porn. Yeah, um, the main guy. What's his name? I'm having a brain. What's the guy from the Who? 
Roger Daltrey? No, the main one. Pete. Yeah. Um. Pete Moon. No, Pete. Uh, Pete. The bearded guy. Keith Moon. Pete Townsend. Uh, Pete Townsend. Yeah. What did he do? Yeah, I think it was child porn. Pete Townsend didn't do anything wrong. I'm pretty sure. Oh no! Please tell me that didn't happen. You better look it up so we can cut it out if not, because it's. I'm looking them up right now. It's a severe slander, if not true. Yeah. Well, as I'm looking at this, I don't know if I got the right guy's name right who <laughs> looked at child porn, but one of them. <laughs> you better have that part right. <laughs> well, that Alan Longmuir guy died uh, after contracting an illness while on holiday in Mexico. He got this horrible disease on, on vacation. He was seven. Right. Yeah. I don't know if I buy it that it's a curse, though, when it's. Happening and then they're in their seventies. Yeah, that's true. Actually, whoops! It was Derek. <laughs> Let me get this right. It was Derek Longmuir who was the drummer of the band, the brother of Alan Longmuir. Alan Longmuir is the one who died. Derek Longmuir uh, is the one who pled guilty and was the nurse, and he pled guilty to two charges of possessing indecent films, photos, videos, and computer images of children. His lawyer said he was not a pedophile and been storing the porn for a friend. That's according to theguardian.com. Um, Did you find anything about Pete Townsend? Pete Townsend. I'm... Roger Daltrey thought he killed Pete Townsend in a fight. God, who am I thinking of? All right, what if I look up Pete Townsend? Porn. Controversy. Pete Townsend in porn. Pirate. Pinball wizard. You're probably going to get a bunch of Pete Townsend, Pete Townsend porn. porn wannabe. <laughs> oh, yeah, 15 years ago. Pete Townsend arrested on child porn yeah, see? charges. Oh, I'm glad I'm right. Just because that would be a horrible thing to say if I wasn't. Oh, 10 years ago, Pete Townsend cleared on child porn charges. Pete Townsend. I paid for child porn to prove British banks were... What? He's trying channeling to... a sex ring cash. Oh, he's trying. He claims he paid for child pornography to prove British banks were complicit in channeling profits from pedophile rings. You're right. That doesn't seem. You're right. Oh no! Yeah, I don't want to know any more about that. Really? It look bad? Yeah, you know, there's different stories about. Oh, should he be banned from? Playing places and whatever else. I did not know about Pete Townsend and that. Yeah. Anyway, that was uh, <laughs> Bay City Rollers. S A T Y D A Y. Child porn. Okay. All right. What's next? Saturday, January 10th, 1976. C.W. McCall. Yeah. Convoy. God, that sounds familiar. I want to say it's like Convoy or something like that. This is the song. That's awful. The dude just got a chair broken all over his back. Convoy is a 1975 novelty song. Yeah, it is. Performed by C.W. McCall, a character co-created and voiced by Bill Freeze, along with Chip Davis. That became a number one song on both the country and pop charts in the U.S. and was listed 98th among Rolling Stones magazine's 100 greatest country songs of all time. 
greatest. Yeah. Well, it's country, so most Still, of it's terrible. It's, it's even for that, I think it would be awful. Yeah, the song consists of three types of interspersed dialogue, a simulated CB conversation with CB slang, the narration of the story, and the chorus. It's about a fictional trucker rebellion that drives from the West Coast to the East Coast of the United States without stopping. That is so dumb. <laughs> Why would you make a song about that? What they are protesting, other than the speed limit, is shown by lines such as, we tore up all of our swindle sheets, CB slang for log sheets used to record driving hours. I'm not even going to no. do the rest of this. No. Yeah, I don't. Novelty song. Convoy. Yeah. It looks like a, the video looks like it's a movie, though. Like, it's not a movie, I guess. That video was made for the. So is it supposed to be like a spoof song? It's a novelty song. I know a novelty song, but does that mean that it's like a, like trying to be funny? No, it's like an action movie. It's like an action. Like, what is a novelty song? You know, like that. Remember that one that by the guy you love that was singing about. He's at the gas station and being silly with the guy that I like, thought was from Hee Haw. Like uh, Ray Stevens. Ray Stevens, like that kind of stuff. See, Ray Stevens is trying to be funny. That's why I'm, I'm wondering is because does that does novelty songs mean funny? Well, the song's running gag has Rubber Duck complaining about the smell of hogs that Pigpen is hauling. He repeatedly asks the offending driver to back off, slow down. So he must be supposed to be funny. By then, Pigpen has fallen so far back when Rubber Duck is in New Jersey, Pigpen has only reached Omaha. I think they were just trying to make a story out of it. It's bizarre. 70s. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff in the 70s. All right, let's move Keep on. Keep in mind, everyone was on drugs. <laughs> that's what we said all through the 80s, too. Yeah, that's true. And then uh, Friday, January 16th, 1976, um, I really like this. Um Carol Burnett was dining at the Rive Gauche restaurant in Georgetown, Washington, D.C. Is that how it's pronounced, do you think? Are you pretty sure? Rive, at the Rive, Rive Gauche, R-I-V-E-G-A-U-C-H-E, Rive Gauche, Rive, Rive, I don't know. Rive Gauche. I don't think it's Rive Gauche. Rive Gauche. Yeah. Rive Gauche. Maybe it's River, and I copied and pasted it wrong. Anyway, she was at a restaurant in Georgetown, D.C., mm-hmm. She drank two or three glasses of wine, but she was not drunk. She exchanged parts of her dessert, a chocolate souffle, with diners at a couple of neighboring tables after they became curious about it. Later, as she was leaving the restaurant, she was introduced to Henry Kissinger, who was also dining in the restaurant. Must be a swanky place. Right? Yeah, of course. Rich, 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 rich yeah. people. So that, that is the event that happened. Mm-hmm. However, in March of that year, the National Enquirer published a short item about the incident. Headline, Carol Burnett and Henry Kay in row, it read in its entirety. In row, you mean? Like they're in a row? They're fighting? R-O-W? Yeah, it's a row. row. Okay. Carol Burnett and Henry Kay in row. It read in its entirety, in a Washington restaurant, a boisterous Carol Burnett had a loud argument with another diner, Henry Kissinger. Then she traipsed around the place, offering everyone a bite of her dessert. But Carol really raised eyebrows when she accidentally knocked a glass of wine over one diner and started giggling instead of apologizing. The guy wasn't amused and accidentally spilled a glass of water over Carol's dress. So the Inquirer made it into that? Yep. Oh, my God. And and Carol Burnett, a passionate campaigner against alcoholism, sued the National Enquirer for libel persistently over several years, ultimately settling out of court for a reported $200,000. 
Though offering Good. no witnesses to its defense initially, the inquiry argued that it was exempt from liability on legal grounds, particularly on grounds arising from the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Initially, Burnett sought $10 million, but her attorney sued in California courts for $1.6 million, which a jury awarded Burnett in actual and punitive damages. Good. However, the presiding court cut the award in subsequent appeals. The award was re- reduced to $200,000, though the final settlement was out of court. The case was widely regarded as a watershed event in tabloid journalism, and some analysts suggest it may have increased celebrities' willingness to sue tabloids for libel and, oh. and dampened tabloids' recklessness in reporting, though others contended did little to reduce a profitable industry's flouting of the laws against libel. I always wondered that. Like, whenever tabloids put people... They just say whatever, especially the Inquirer. Like it just, I mean, how can they get away with it? I always wonder. Yeah, I always wonder. They say whatever they want. Like, someone is, so-and-so is an alien, has an alien love child, and they can just say whatever they want. Now, some of them, like the blind items and stuff, I wonder, is some of that stuff, like, true? Blind items. Yeah, that's like, um, it's celebrity gossip is what it is. Mm-hmm. But it... But you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of crazy shit in Hollywood, and sometimes I wonder if it's because there's been times like like uh, the National Enquirer busted what's his name, John. Um, oh yeah, we talked. Remember about Gary Hart? No, Gary, Gary Hart, but also the guy that ran by for VP with. Um, oh, John um, Edwards. John Edwards. That the, was the Enquirer. That did yeah, that? the Enquirer busted him, and so like you hear about them doing that and you wonder like some of it is some of it like true sorry was that mine that was your phone is some of it doesn't make any sounds is some of it true is i'm a professional podcasting person all right anyway do you know what i'm trying to say january 17th just ignore me (laughs) no i don't know what you're talking about january 17th 1976 (laughs) barry manilow takes over the number one spot i don't think you ever listened to me well we've been married for almost like I think I talk and you just, you just keep bl- rolling along. Sometimes I don't know what to say. All right. So I fair just enough. move on. That's fair. January seventeenth, Saturday, January seventeenth, nineteen seventy-six. Barry Manilow takes over the number one spot. Barry Manilow. I song. write the songs that make the whole over. world sing. Is it? Yep. I write the songs of love and special things. The Beastie Boys famously covered this lyric by saying i write the songs to make the whole world suck that's not that clever you know he's talking about barry manilow sucking but you know they said the whole world sucks well they, he makes this song the world suck by writing songs that anyway this sense. is this is a popular song written by bruce johnston in 75 and made famous by barry manilow mm-hmm. um it won Grammy, he's another one that's some that was like a heartthrob to some women and he's obviously gay well and who you never like he's not attractive in the like we were talking about rod stewart rod stewart rod stewart at least has more sex appeal than this yeah than barry, barry manilow there's none <laughs> he's the nerdiest guy ever. yeah he uh the, the original version of the song was recorded by captain tenille captain and tenille mm-hmm. you know uh and the captain wore that hat yep um david cassidy did it um, but Johnston, who wrote it, Bruce Johnston, yes, he stated he stated that for him that the I in the song is God, like not he didn't write the songs, but God wrote the songs. The songs come from the spirit of creativity in all of us. He said that the song is not about his 
Beach Boys bandmate Brian Wilson, but it's about God. <laughs> what? Know. Not about its bandmate Brian Wilson. What are you talking about? Somebody, th- some people thought it was about Brian Wilson. I guess. Oh. That is Wikipedia, and sometimes you need to copy and paste. I don't know. <laughs> Barry Manilow. <laughs> That's a good cover. Barry Manilow was initially reluctant to record the song, stating in his autobiography, "Sweet Life." Mm-hmm. That's the name of his autobiography. The problem with the song was that if you didn't listen carefully to the lyric, you would think that the singer was singing about himself. It could be misinterpreted as a monumental ego trip. Well, that's what it sounds like. And so he didn't want to record it, but Clive Davis bugged him, and then he did it. Mm-hmm. It does sound like Barry Manilow thinks he's the shit. Oh, you write the, all the great songs, Barry yep. Manilow? You're better than everybody? Right. Anything else about Barry Manilow? Nope. Song? Sunday, January 18th, 1976, the Steelers defeated the Cowboys by a score of 21-17 to win their second consecutive Super Bowl. The Steelers, they're big winners all the time, Steelers, huh? Steelers, yeah. They, this was when they started. They were huge in the 70s. So everybody everybody in the world when I was a kid was either a Cowboys fan or, Steelers or a fan. Steelers fan um, because they just won all the time. Uh, they were the third team to win back-to-back Super Bowls. It was the first Super Bowl in in which both participating teams had previously won a Super Bowl. As the Steelers were defending champions and the Cowboys had won Super Bowl VI. It was played at the Orange Bowl in Miami. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the first major national events of the bicentennial year. So there's American flags everywhere. Yeah. Both Both teams wore bicentennial logo patches. Um... Anything else of interest? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to avoid the stuff that you don't care about, about the steel curtain defense and the running game. And yeah, I don't want to know about any of that. You don't care about the flex defense. Any of that. You know, all that stuff you don't care about at all, no. so you'll just scream at me if I talk about it. But trailing 10-7 to 7 in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, the Steelers rallied to score 14 unanswered points, including a 64-yard touchdown reception by wide receiver Lynn Swan, which you don't care about still probably. Nope. But how about the Super Bowl MVP? You care about that? Nope. Lynn Swan. He's the first wide receiver to beat a Super Bowl. It's a man named Lynn. Lynn Swan, yeah. Cost of a Super Bowl ad in 76, you want to guess? Oh, I can't remember what it was. $110,000. Oh, in the all it cost. six figures. Tom Sullivan sang the national anthem. Who? Tom Sullivan. I don't know that person. That's because you're racist towards blind singers. Was he blind? He was a blind singer and actor who was on Highway to Heaven. If you were a Highway to Heaven fan, you would have known who he was. No, I never watched that show. Not even once. Yeah, Michael Landon was on that show. He probably slipped women Mickey's, too. I always try to imagine what that other guy on Highway to Heaven smelled like. He always looked like he smelled. Think about all the male actors that are dead that got away with doing that. Doing what? Slipping women drinks stuff in their drinks and stuff michael landon did that no i'm just saying he probably who why? knows why would you think he did that he's beautiful without he doesn't have to well but there's so many of them they're coming out now you think, think about michael all landon? the ones well think about all the ones you're accusing michael landon of i'm rape. not accusing him i'm just thinking think of all the ones that are dead now that we'll never know that were probably horrible like that oh, yeah a lot of people are terrible yeah there's a lot of guys who are terrible the only I'm not going to say it's a good, there's no good things out of this at all, but it's real easy to be looked at as a great guy. Just yeah. To, all yeah. I got to do is not rape anyone, and everyone and thinks I'm an awesome dude. That's true. Jeez. 
It's a low enough, bar. Enough of the rape. Low bar. God, why would you rape? What's the deal? Yeah, I don't get it. It's a mental illness, I think. Saturday, January 24th, 1976, Diana Ross takes over the number one spot in the Billboard charts, knocks Billy, Barry Manilow off. Says, get out of here, Barry Manilow. Oh, is that Love Hangover? No. Theme from Mahogany. Oh, do you know where you're going to? And do you like like the things things that see you show in you? Where you going to? Do you know that we are down by law? Everywhere we go, every time we do a show, everybody wants to know how we make them say, ho, ho. Okay, so there's a song. By mm-hmm. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, where they introduced their this beatbox. This is not about 1976. I know, but they introduced their beatbox, Ready Rock C, and in the middle of it, Will Smith starts singing this song. Do you know where you're going to, and do you like the things that Ready C is showing you? And I did not know all this time that that was from anything else. I just thought that was a thing that Will Smith Oh, my Smith God. Sang. And then, so when I heard Diana Ross singing that, I was like, oh, she's singing the Ready Rock C song. No. Because to me, that's what it is. That's sad. And if you look this up, it's called Rock the House. And it's, it's I'm there, not looking that up. It's on DJ Jazz Jeff and Fresh Prince's album from the 80s, Rock the House. And the song's called Rock the House. Nobody's going to look that up. <laughs> Ready Rock C. But this is where Ready Rock C, the, he's one of the their human beatbox, their own yeah. beatbox guy. You know, everybody would do their own. Nobody cares <laughs> about Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff. Yes, they do, because Ready Rock C did, he could he could sound like a beatbox underwater. And he went, mm-hmm. and he did Sanford and Son underwater. I know, you do that. It was great. Anyway, oh my God. that's the best thing. You about tell this that story song. just so you could do that. No, it, I mean it was the number one song in Billboard charts. I had to cover it. All right, what's next? Do you know where you going to? Do you like the things? Ready, see you show you. There's probably some other things about Diana Ross about this song, but really, Ready Rock C is the only reason anybody should care about that song. Okay. I wonder what Ready Rock C is up to. Stop it! Don't you ever wonder? What's next? Ready Rock C. Tuesday, January 27th of 1976, the number one show of that year, of 1976. Do you want to know what the number one TV show TV was? TV show? Yeah, do you sure. want to guess? Um, Happy Days? Yes. Oh, my god! Oh, really? I was going to say, on this episode, uh, it was called Fonzie the Superstar. With Potsy out of town, the band has no lead singer for the Saturday Senior Dance until Ralph informs Arnold that Fonzie could fill in. Oh, so Fonzie got up there and sang? Yeah, but when, when Fonzie finds out finds out he was supposed to sing, he's not pleased, and he's worried that he's no Elvis. And Fonzie may actually not be good at something for once, so he's stressed about it. Okay. But Laverne and Shirley sing backup for Fonzie in his rendition of Heartbreak Hotel. Oh. But this kind of messes up the whole timeline thing because he dresses like Elvis, I think, like Elvis did in the 70s. Uh Oh, he does? He wore like a jumpsuit, but this was in the 50s, the 50s before he would have done yeah. that, so it doesn't make sense. But Laverne and Shirley were his backup singers. That's that's a pretty stupid thing to to mess up to as me- the costumer. I don't think they cared. Yeah, I guess not. I just That same night, though, right after Happy Days, mm-hmm. the number two show was on, and but it actually premiered right after Happy Days. Okay. You want me to guess that? You want one? to guess what that is? The number two show. Is it a sitcom? Yep. Um, it's a spinoff of Happy Days. Laverne and Shirley. Yep. Oh. Laverne and Shirley was on the premiere. Laverne and Shirley was on that same night. It's a misadventures of two single women in the 50s and 60s. And in the pilot episode, do you want to guess what happens in the 
pilot episode? They get um, st- stuck in the Pepsi factory? Nope. What? Laverne DeFazio and Shirley Feeney mingle at a dinner party that's being given by their boss's family. Okay. That's how you introduced I don't remember the world that to Laverne episode. and Shirley. I used to love that show. I did, too. I did, too. I and I was attracted to both of them also, too. You were? Uh-huh. Really? I wanted... I wanted a three-way with Laverne, Laverne and, Shirley. and Shirley. Yeah. It's so funny because Laverne is the cute. sexy one, and Shirley is the Shirley has no sex She's, appeal at all. Yeah, she does. She's the girl next door. Everybody likes the girl next door. But Laverne, it, like, Penny Marshall is so unattractive. It's a funny... <laughs> I mean, it, she was great physical comedian, but... Well, she, if you look at her now, she's not attractive. No, if but... If even, you look then, she was cute, kind of. She had a... Mm, I don't yeah, think she so. She's cute. She kind of had the Barbara Streisand thing going for her. No. Mm-hmm. She didn't sing terrible songs. Anyway, I love Laverne and Shirley. I wanted to make out with both of them. Okay. I wanted to be Carmine. January 31st, 1976, the Ohio Players take over the number one spot. Oh, uh. <laughs> oh, of love. Roller coaster. All right, that's a good song. Yep. So um, so there is an urban legend, a persistent urban legend about this song. And you're going to have to play this. Yeah. No, I'm not going to play it. Not play this oh, part. play that part? Yeah. All right, I'll play that part. This song has a persistent urban legend that during an instrumental portion of the song, a high-pitched scream is heard. Mm-hmm. Now, it's between 1 minute and 24 seconds and 1 minute and 28 seconds on a single version. Okay. Or between two minutes and thirty-two seconds, and two minutes and thirty-six seconds on the album version. So the one I have, I think, is the album version because that's where I always hear it. Okay. Um, this was Billy Beck doing that scream, but according to the most common legend, it's the voice of an individual being murdered live <laughs> while the tape was rolling. That's such a now, dumb why, urban wait, legend. Now, why is that? <laughs> why is that funny when everything you? talk about is murders and no but this is such a dumb urban legend like oh they murdered her while they were in the recording studio recording the song the victim's identity varies greatly depending on the version the supposed sources of the scream have included an an individual who was killed at some prior time and her scream inexplicably recorded and looped into the track another version says that a girl has fallen off the roller coaster and was screaming to her death so they're recording on a roller coaster in that version? I don't know. Another version tells of a rabbit being killed outside the studio whose scream was accidentally picked up by the band's recording equipment. Jesus. Highly implausible since professional recording studios are soundproof. And usually in urban areas. The most, who's going to be skinning a rabbit outside? The most widespread version of the myth, however, tells that Esther Corday, mm-hmm. who appeared nude on the Honey album cover, mm-hmm. had been badly burned by the superheated Honey used for the photo shoot, which occurred simultaneously with the recording session, and her agonized screams were inadvertently captured on tape. Jeez. All right, play it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Casey Kasem reported the urban myth of the woman being killed in the studio. He did? Recording booth on his radio He reported like that? He reported it on American Top 40. Like that was a fact? The song was on the charts, yep. He did? Yep. What an idiot. Here we go. Ready? Yep. Yeah, I heard it. it. Yep. Okay. That was it. 
<laughs> That's it. so dumb. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's almost, it's a little creepy sounding if after hearing the urban legends, but that's the whole purpose of urban legends. Well, and the, the band said that they never, um, they never answered, like people would ask them, did you kill a girl in the studio? And they would, they said, we can't talk about it. And we uh, took a vow of silence. They didn't want to tell anybody because they would sell more records. That yeah. Time. Everybody wanted to everybody hear Everybody wanted it. to buy it. Yep. So. Um, How crazy. What a dumb urban legend. Yeah. I can't believe Casey Kasem reported it like it was a fact. Well, Casey Kasem's still tied up in somebody's basement, isn't he? Remember they were what? Remember there was a big fight for his body, like his. What? He was still alive, but no, it was I don't like his this. daughter and his um, granddaughter or daughter and somebody were fighting over him. Like he's missing. Like he was like what? ninety-two, and there were t- somebody was taking care of him. And somebody else said, "No, I'm taking care of him." And it was like they were fighting over being in his will or getting his... I didn't I hear think, anything about that. Yeah, and he was missing for a while, and then he died. Oh. Yeah, you don't remember that? No. When was, was that? A long time ago? Or? No, like two years ago or something. Oh. Or, if it was post-Trump, I don't know, because I no, disengaged. No, it was before Trump. I've disengaged from news. It was before the whole Trump thing, but it wasn't too long ago. Really? And then uh, Sunday, Sunday, February 1st, 1976, was the first ever Black History Month. Oh, my gosh. Before 1976, it was called Negro History Week. Oh, jeez. Which was created in 1926 with the hope that it would be eliminated once black history would become fundamental to American history. <laughs> which it still has yet to So they expanded happen. it to a month in 1976. Yeah, because Negro History Week, that's really, you know. Still, it's the shortest month of the year. A week. It, I know, I know. It's we still should have Black History Decade and just make everybody deal with it. That's right. Deal with what happened, and then have all women in charge. Black women should be in charge of it. Black lesbians should be in charge of, of everything. everything. That's right. For twenty years, and then we'll see all how check it goes. Back in. We'll have Wanda and um, who's P- that? PJX. PJX that you work I with. I could probably name twenty. Yeah, you We'd probably be could. Better at running everything. Yep. All right. What's next? Saturday, February 7th, 1976, Paul Simon takes over the number one spot on oh. the Billboard charts. Slip out the back, Jack. 50 ways to leave your Make lover. a new yep. plan, Stan. Don't, Don't need, need to be, be coy, Roy. Roy. Just listen to me. That's a great song. Don't need to discuss much. Um, did you know that backing vocals on this single were performed by Patty Austin, Valerie Simpson, and Phoebe Snow? No. I don't know those people. You don't know who they are? No. This was written after Simon's divorce from his first wife, Peggy Harper. Oh. The song is a mistress's humorous advice to a husband on ways to end a relationship. Yeah. It was recorded in a small New York City studio on Broadway. It's a great song. I love that song. It is a good song. I love Paul Simon's music, both with Garfunkel and Post. I think his stuff is so awesome. Would you ever... What? Would you ever think of Garfunkel when you make love to me? Would you ever make love to me and think of Garfunkel? Well, no. You kind of look like Garfunkel down in the other regions. If you Whoa! Know what I'm saying. That's a Merkin. That's a Merkin that I wear. <laughs> a Garfunkel Merkin that I got. It's an official Garfunkel Merkin. <laughs> and now, now everyone knows about it. Share my... Garfunkel Merkin. Everybody's going to have to look up what a Merkin is. Everybody's going to be Googling Merkin, y'all. I thought everybody knew what that was, but I found out recently. Nope. 
And people still it's don't know theater. what a merkin is. I think it's a theater thing. Sunday, February 8th, 1976, the one of the Best Picture nominees came out. Yes. Taxi Driver. Yes. With Jodie Foster and Harvey Cartel. And Robert De Niro. Starring Robert De Niro. Did you know that Robert De Niro worked 15 hours a day for a month driving cabs as prep for his role? Did he? He also studied mental illness, and during his off time when filming, mm-hmm. he visited a U.S. Army base in northern Italy Northern Italy, and tape-recorded conversations with Midwestern soldiers so that he could pick up their accent. Oh, he's such a method actor, him yeah, and Al Pacino. And Pacino. And... And between the time that De Niro signed a $35,000 contract to appear in this film and when it began filming, he won an Oscar for his role in Godfather Part Two, and his profile soared. Oh, man. The producers were terrified that De Niro would ask for a, a, raise. a large pay raise. Yeah. Um, and they were look, some of the Columbia Pictures people were looking for excuses to pull the plug, so they were kind of hoping he would. But oh. he said, nope, I'm going to honor my original deal so the film could get made. Jodie Foster claimed that Robert De Niro would regularly call her up and suggest they have coffee together and then rehearse the diner scene over and over to the point where Foster got bored, but still De Niro would insist that they continue rehearsing. When that drive Oh, happens. God. I've, I've worked with people like that. Yeah, they just keep wanting to go over. It's like, I, we got it down, jackass. Well, and, and it's it's so tiring to do it over and oh, over and it over. It loses its luster. Yeah. Well, here's a weird thing. Jodie Foster was 12 years old when the movie was filmed, so she couldn't do the more explicit scenes. Mm-hmm. Her character was also 12 years old. Connie Foster, Jodie's older sister, who was 19 when the film was produced, was cast as her body double for those scenes. I don't remember any sexual scenes with her, but I saw this a long time ago when I was in college. I've I've never seen it. I probably was high on the weed. Yeah. Uh, And then one of the things, the scene where Travis Bickle is talking to himself in the mirror, Mm -hmm. it's kind of the famous scene where he's like, Yeah, you talking to me? me? Yeah. Completely ad-libbed. Really? By Robert De Niro. Yep. The stage directions just said, Talk to yourself in the mirror. Oh, sweet. How cool is that? Yeah. Robert De Niro is pretty cool. Yeah, he's a good actor. I guess. Um, I wonder if he's a nice guy. I don't know, but, you know, he hates Trump, right? Oh, he does? And he got one of the bombs when that crazy Trump supporter oh, sent yeah, the yeah. bombs to all the liberal people. He yeah. got one. Oh, he did? He was just, apparently he was just on Saturday Night Live. I didn't watch this, but he was playing Bob Mueller. And they did a skit <laughs> in the opening scene with Eric Trump and uh, Donald yeah. Trump Jr. Yeah. Bad and Mueller comes in or something. I got to watch it. but Oh, funny. Uh, that's got to be funny. Yeah. Anyway. That's Taxi Driver. It's supposed. It was a great. I remember it being a great movie. It's, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be one of the movies in American history that you have to see. Like, yeah, just one of the best. But it was not one of the top. Yeah, top grossing. Five grossing at all that mm-hmm. year. I don't think it was real popular that year. But it was up for Best Picture, but it did not win. Okay. We will reveal who won later. Tuesday, February tenth, the very next day. Yeah. Sesame Street. Aired an episode number eight forty seven featuring Margaret Hamilton. You know who that is? Uh, Margaret Hamilton. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, she was. Um, was she the Wicked Witch of the West? Yes. So yeah. She was reprising her role as the Wicked Witch from the film The Wizard of Oz, but it scared children so badly that the episode has never been re-aired. Wow. They got all kinds of complaints of kids being scared and freaked out by her. But yeah, yeah the Wicked Witch. She, well, and if you've ever seen. The Wizard of Oz, it's like one of those movies where 
everybody who saw it as a kid has a different part that freaked them out really bad. Like my yeah. part is when they go in to see the wizard and that big flying head, monkeys. No, the big head that comes up in the flames and is talking to him. That's supposed to be Oz, right? It's supposed to be Oz, yeah. <laughs> and my mom's part is the part where the the legs curl up under the house. And, like, everybody's got a different part. Like you said, the flying monkeys freaked you out. No, I don't think. I never saw it when I was a kid. Oh, you didn't? I never. It, to me, it was always a. I always thought it was like a girl show. I didn't care oh. But something I just discovered that I wish I would have talked about in the 90s episodes. I'm going through. I, I, just, I have the WWE Network. Yes. Because I stopped watching wrestling when I got to. Now, like, well, how is this wrestling? <laughs> I'll tell you. Just a minute. I'll tell you. You're. Okay. So I'm watching all the wrestling that I missed after I stopped watching wrestling. I, I, I'm curious as to what happened. Like, how did it get to where they are now from the guys I liked? I just stopped watching it, and I don't know what happened. So, all right. And then in college, I watched it a little bit. Like, mm -hmm. a bunch of guys got together and watched pay-per-views because the NWO came out. We thought those guys were cool, but I didn't know where those guys came from. There was in 19... I'm in 1991 right now reliving all this stuff, and they introduced the stupidest, possibly the stupidest wrestling gimmick of all time. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it gets dark, and the Wizard of Oz people show up, Dorothy and the lion and a scarecrow and oh, a no. tin man or whatever, and they come down to the ring, and they're like, oh, my God, what's happening? And, the, and I was like, oh, no, what's going on? What, why is Dorothy here? What's going on? Oh, my and then they God, go that back, is so stupid. They go back up the entrance, and then this old wizard comes out, and there's like a, a castle background, and it's all dark, and then all of a sudden... Oz shows up. And oh it's my this big God. head. And it's the smoke. And it's this guy wearing a mask that mm -hmm. looks like a wizard. Like he's wearing like a Halloween mask. This big tall guy. He's eight feet tall. Who's or seven idea? feet tall. Comes walking down to the ring. And then, he re and then he takes a mask off. And it's Kevin Nash who ends up being one of the NWO guys later. But he wrestles for a couple months as Oz. Like he's just what? Oz. So every time he comes out to the ring, they recreate that whole thing. Like a wizard comes out with him and he turns around and he's wearing this That is so stupid. Mask. And then he takes off the mask and he wrestles as a guy. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I uh, honey, I no idea wrestling that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, it's so dumb. Like just when he thought it couldn't be any dumber. Like the so dumbest thing. That's happened. my question always with that. Yeah, so Kevin Nash was Oz. <laughs> That's the stupidest thing ever. So if you uh, if you didn't know that, go back and look. It was like uh, it was like uh, maybe February or March of ninety one. God, uh, look for Oz. I didn't know that happened. All right. Anyway, and then February twelfth to Thursday, February twelfth, nineteen seventy six. There was a violent movie star death. Oh. Someone who was Sal Minio. Yeah. Was arriving home after rehearsal on February 12th, 1976. Was it Mineo? Sal Mineo? Minio. Sal Minio. He was arriving home after rehearsal on February 12th when he was stabbed to death in the alley behind his apartment building near the Sunset Strip in West Hollywood, California. He was stabbed just once, but the knife blade struck his heart, leading to immediate and fatal internal bleeding. Wow. So he was. It was quick. He didn't know what hit him. Yep. In March of 1979, pizza delivery man Lionel Ray Williams was sentenced to 57 years in prison for killing him and for 10 robberies in the same area. Although considerable confusion existed as to what witnesses had seen in the darkness the night he was murdered, Williams claimed to have had no idea who Minio was. Corrections officers later said they had overheard Williams admitting to the stabbing. 
Williams was defended by jazz bassist and lawyer Mort Herbert. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird thing. That is weird. So Sal Mineo was, he has his breakthrough as an actor in 1955 in Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah, Did that's you know right. That? Yes, yeah. was. By the early 60s, he was becoming too old to play the type of role that had made him famous and has rumored homosexual, homosexuality led to his being considered inappropriate for leading roles. He said, one minute, it seemed I had more movie offers than I could handle. The next, nobody wanted me. That's how it always is, I think. Yeah. But then he made a, it, but by 1976, his career had started to turn around with while he played a role of a bisexual burglar in a series of stage performances of the comedy P.S. Your Cat is Dead in San Francisco. Okay. You ever heard of that? No. That's supposed to be funny. Okay. Or supposed to be good or something. I don't know. Anyway, and then he got murdered by a pizza guy. That's sad. Yeah, it is sad. Anytime anybody gets murdered by a pizza guy, it's a sad situation. And then Saturday, uh, all the way to the end of February 28th. If you think about it, all pizza guys are slowly murdering us. You know? Let me think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you get that Papa John's pizza that just uses ranch sauce as the sauce. That's right. That's murdering us. Slowly murdering us. It's definitely murdering my bowels. That's right. Okay. February 28th. Rhythm Heritage takes over the number one spot on the Billboard charts. What? You know what song Rhythm Heritage comes out with? I know. Do you want to know? Yeah. The yeah. theme. It's a theme song. SWAT? The theme from SWAT. Oh, my God. Yep. In 1987, LL Cool J sampled the song for a single, I'm Bad, which is probably one of the greatest rap songs of all time. No Sweet. rap can rap quite All like right. I can. I'm talking muscle bomb man and put his face in the sand. Sorry, that's a great song. Okay. That was on Bigger and Deffer. Um, yes. And then they redid SWAT on a film. With that's the weird thing in the 70s of, of putting TV theme songs as the top billboard hits. Yeah, people love theme songs. It's so funny that that. Well, the, they were pretty good though. This was a good song. It was kind of like a disco song. Yeah, this yeah. This disco. one's, but but there's. It's so funny though because making your way in the and then world like words like ru- the songs like Rubber Ducky was one and Rubber Ducky. It's just bizarre. It's a top Billboard you hit. Make bad time, lots of fun. That's a great song. That'd be though. a good one to redo. That would be for somebody in to a redo rap style. I don't know about that. Hip hop. We should have. Um, you know, Migos do it. Who? Migos. What are you talking about? You know, Migos about? Offset is a guy no. named Migos. No. Cardi B. You know Cardi B? No. Cardi B put a pussy on Offset. All right. Sorry. Are you having a stroke? <laughs> no, Cardi B. you don't even make sense right now. I know. I, you don't think I, I didn't think I made sense either, but Cardi B is a rapper. She's mm-hmm. a lady rapper. Yeah. And she keeps talking about putting her pussy on Offset. What is that supposed to mean? I put my pussy on offset. I don't know. I was like, what is this? And I felt so old and white. I'm like, man, I don't know what these millennials are talking about. They're putting their pussy on offset. I don't know what that Did means. You, you what never that looked mean? it up? So I finally figured out offset is a guy. He's a dude in a rap group called Migos. God, why are we talking about this so she's right now? Put her pussy on a guy. So that makes sense. That's what that offset doesn't is. make sense. I just wanted to know what putting your pussy on offset meant, and now I know. All right. Oh, it's about redoing songs. I don't know how we got to that. What do we... I don't know. Offset? I don't know. Uh, it's a person. Anyway, Offset is a person. Okay. It, it was like a Rosebud is a sled type moment I had. I was like, oh, Offset is a person. She's putting her pussy on a person. All right. Glad we cleared that up. Saturday, 
uh, February 20th, that same day that SWAT became the number one song, mm-hmm. while accepting the Grammy for Album of the Year, Paul Simon thanked Stevie Wonder for not releasing an album that year. Oh. And I think we talked about this before. Cha-ching. Because Stevie Wonder won the award in 74 and 75. Yeah. And then he won it again in 77. So, like, the only year he didn't it was Paul Simon. Paul Simon, because... Because Stevie Wonder didn't put out one. So Wilma Swain was on duty in the Lookout Tower, five miles south of Columbia, South Carolina, on Tuesday, March 2nd, 1976. Oh, the same day that Arnold got married on Happy Days. Yes. Arnold got married, and Fonzie was the best man, but uh, he's upset that the Fonzie curse is going to ruin his wedding. And also, Policewoman, starring Angie Dickinson, was on. Oh, right. So she noticed smoke rising from a wooded area only a mile from the tower's base beside the Highway 94. Okay. She radioed Ronald Brickhouse. He's a brick house. <laughs> a North Carolina Forestry Service ranger who investigated the fire around 1 p.m. This guy, I don't know this guy, but he sounds badass. Yeah. The fire had spread over about three acres of brush and, pl- and pine plantings when he arrived. Uh-oh. He'd been fighting the blaze about 10 minutes when he decided to return to his truck and radio for help. This dude had a big mustache. You know it. Yeah. Big, giant dude. Yep. What he discovered next changed his life forever and began a mystery that remains unsolved to this day. Oh, oh my God. What did he discover? Uh, well, this is what he says. On the way back out by the fire, I saw a pile of dirt and walked over, and there were two bodies lying in the hole. Oh. He radioed Swain to send the sheriff, but he did not tell her what he had found. I thought maybe it was a whiskey still he had run up on. She said it wasn't. Uh-oh. He found a gasoline can still burning nearby and concluded the fire had been set by someone who had brought the can to the area. A shovel and old pitchfork were nearby. He also spotted fresh tire tracks. Because of heavy fog and damp weather, the fire could have been burning as long as an hour before he arrived. Huh. Sheriff Royce Rhodes, Deputy Edward Davis Jr., and Game Warden Carl Willis met Brickhouse and were directed to the pit. What's up, Brickhouse? <laughs> they recalled, you know they were singing that to him. Yeah, you know they were, hey, we're going to see Brickhouse. Who? Brickhouse. <laughs> okay. They recalled their growing horror as they discovered more and more bodies. At the bottom of the jumble more of smoldering torsos and limbs was a very little boy. Wait, it was a pile of bodies? Yeah. The whole Mound was bodies? Yeah. The, oh, no. The bodies of the two women and three boys could not be identified because of burns and lack of clues, and no missing persons had been reported in the area. Plus, it was the 70s. Yes. The remains were taken in funeral hearses to North Carolina Memorial Hospital for identification. Oh, no. Um, so, and me, an eerie... It's, uh, it's just to correct you, it's pronounced North Cackalacka. That's right. An eerie feeling settle, settled over Columbia. Townsfolk that night refused to open their doors, even for a team of SBI agents called to check leads into the slayings. Fifteen of the state's top crime investigators converged on the wooded area the next day to search for clues. So um, the coroner says that they were impressed by the multiplicity of the blows on the victims. When you cave in somebody's head in one blow, why keep hitting them? The fact that there were so many bruises to the children struck me as odd. The older woman's injuries were less severe than the others. The victims, when alive, were in good health, he added. The experts could not identify the charred pajamas of the three boys or the street clothes of the two women, uh. and their fingerprints were not on file. So how many people total? Five. Five people? Mm-hmm. Slight head wounds were found on the, women at, on the woman age 60. All the victims were white. All the bodies were soaked in gasoline, and two were slightly scorched by the fire. Authorities said the head of the two youngest boys was wrapped in towels, apparently in efforts to stop the bleeding. The dental work on all the victims was excellent. There were no signs of struggle, and there was no indication the victims had been tied up. 
This is making me barf. I know. So they theorize it took the ki- it, that it took the killer more than an hour to dig the four foot deep bathtub sized grave. Bathtub size. That's it. He must have gotten there out there in a hur- big hurry when the fire got going. He said they were just thrown into the hole. Officials believe the victims were killed late Monday or early Tuesday and driven to the secluded spot about half a mile from the nearest house. The killer apparently panicked and fled when the flames got out of control. So uh, there was this massive investigation. Um, they, they concentrated on the school systems from Maine to Florida to find missing persons. Um, they were slow to establish the identities of the five bodies. Um, most of the victims had dental work, like root canals and cavity fillings and stuff. Um, yeah. So that means they can trace it and figure it out? Yeah. Who did them? They, they're going to try. So they... Um, Several watches were also found on the victims, discounting robbery as a possible motive for the slayings, but providing possible leads. As the investigation entered its fourth day, no missing person reports in North Carolina or Tidewater, Virginia fitted the description of the slain. And the fourth day was March 6th, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And this is when the miracles took over the number one spot with Love Machine. I'm just a love machine. That starts off with a, a, a bass... Voice guy starting mm-hmm. off like, hey, baby, you know what's going on in my little machine here, baby. Mm-hmm. So a torn price tag on a new shovel found next to the makeshift grave was a key to the identities of the five dead persons. So they took the shovel to the hardware store where it was purchased. Yeah. And um, the, the Did guy... Did you see g- any weirdos buying shovels? Gave them the manufacturer's telephone number. The company traced the last three letters on the price tag to this other hardware store. So... Um, they took morgue photos of the victims to the Maryland store, but no one there could identify the victims. The store was selling a hundred a month of similar shovels, and employees had no way of identifying the buyer. A hundred shovels a month? What is this? A burial yeah. hardware store? Something. How many shovels are you going to sell in a month? Then on Monday, March eighth, a resident of Carterock Springs, Maryland, phoned the police that her neighbors had not been seen for a week. I haven't seen my neighbors in a while. So this detective, Joe Sargent, drove out to investigate. Oh, Detective Joe Sargent. He sounds like a badass, too. His name is Joe Sargent? Yep. Wow, he's meant to be a police officer. He spotted blood on the front door steps, and there was a lot more blood inside in a lower-level den leading to the master bedroom, trailing up a short flight of carpeted stairs, covering a hallway, and on a bathroom door and in two bedrooms. I'm, I'm I'm not a sergeant. I'm not a detective, but this seems suspicious to me. So the neighbors tentatively confirmed that the bodies were those of the peop- the missing neighbors. Must be the neighbors. The Washington Post broke the story on its front page the next day, March 9th. Do you know who the neighbors are? This I'm going to tell you right now. Oh, five. Well, oh. The same day you know, they broke this story the same night that the Adams Chronicles was on. Okay. It was a it was a mini series about John Adams and John Quincy Adams. Oh, my God, you're kidding. I know. I want to find it so bad. You, I uh, bet you do. Meredith Baxter Burney's husband, David Burney, was in it. Oh. He, he played John Quincy Adams. Well, there you go. But competing with David Burney was Meredith Baxter Burney in her own show called Family on ABC. Oh, Meredith I remember Baxter, that show. You do? Family? Meredith yeah, Christy ba- McNichol, I think. Christy McNichol, Meredith Baxter Burney were the daughters, yeah. I guess, on that show. I didn't remember Meredith Baxter Burney being on it. Yeah, the joys and... She wasn't Meredith Baxter Burney then. I think she was just Meredith Baxter. Yeah, I remember the that The joys show. and heartaches of the Lawrence family of Pasadena. Mm-hmm. Never heard of that show. Didn't know it existed. 
Um, it was on TV that night. And this was the night before Steve Bishop was born. Oh, okay. So March 9th, um, five members of a Bethesda family, the wife, mother, and three sons of a missing State Department official, oh. were beaten to death in their home last week and then driven to North Carolina where their bodies were set afire in an open grave. A State Department official? Yes. The victims were identified yesterday as members of the Bradford Bishop family. Police said the pajama-clad bodies of the sons were found in the fiery grave beneath their fully clothed mother and paternal grandmother. So that's everybody, the whole family. That's Mm -hmm. all the bodies. Yep, except for dad. Dad's body's not there? Nope. Mother, grandmother, and the kids. So there's four bodies. No, there's five. There's three kids. Mother, grandmother, the three kids. Oh, man. So Montgomery County Police said last last night, this is the, the newspaper newspaper report. Montgomery, South Carolina? M- Montgomery County. In South Carolina? I think so. The police said last night that the bloodstains were found in all four bedrooms of the Bishop home. Other bloodstains were found in the driveway, they said. Police found no weapons and there was no sign of a struggle in the home. Police believe the killings occurred about 6.30 p.m. Monday, March 1st, and that the bodies were carried out the front door. A station wagon resembling that of the bishops was seen near the gravesite at about 10 a.m. Tuesday, the Post reported. William Bradford Bishop, Jr., 39, assistant chief of the Special Trade Activities Office of the State Department's Economic and Business Section, was listed as a missing person and was being sought for questioning. Oh, he killed his family. The P- The Post reported that the search for the identity of the victims first focused on the Washington, D.C. area late the previous week when investigators in North Carolina traced the shovel to the hardware store. The second link came when bishops were reported missing. A neighbor oh, said Bishop left his office at the State Department downtown at 5.30 p.m. on Monday, March 1st, saying he was not feeling well and thought he might be coming down with the flu. Or a little case of the murder my family tonight. That's right. Friends said all the bishops were active, including his mother, who frequently would jog down the drive to get the mail. Neighbors seemed to know less about Bishop than other members of the family, probably because he traveled a lot. But he was described as athletic and liking to play tennis and riding a motorcycle. And murder people. The bishops moved to the neighborhood two years earlier when he was transferred back to the States after serving as deputy chief of the U.S. mission in Gaborone, Botswana, in southern Africa. Botswana, y'all. So um, the romance in the marriage seemed, from all outward appearances, was ideal. Um, They were tall. Tall, handsome, intelligent California boy meets intelligent, beautiful, artistic California girl. That's when you know you got trouble. When the romance seems ideal. Yeah. Nobody ever says our romance is ideal. No, nobody. Well, no. maybe some people do. No, most people are like, that's definitely not ideal. That's fucked up. Those two. That's fucked up. Look at up. those gross people. Yeah. Well, you know, you're a lot. Guy. Look at that guy's gut. You're a lot. What? What? You're a lot. I'm a lot. You're a lot. Babe. Well, maybe you're a lot. Um. So, anyway... Bishop enlisted in the Army on August 9th, uh, on August 7th, 1959. Okay, back in the... The family traveled throughout Europe and Africa for Bishop's job. Okay. The slaying stunned Tyrell County. On Wednesday, March 10th... Wait, what? What did you just say? The slayings... Oh, the slayings. Slayings. What? Stunned the county. The The slayings stunned the county. I thought you said the slangs. I was like, what's a slang? Why did the slang... Sorry. Stun the county. Sorry, I apologize. That's okay. I just, you know, if you could just get better at articulating. Okay. Know, our marriage would I'll work on better. it. Okay. On Wednesday, March 10th. Oh, now this, Wednesday, March 10th, 1976, yeah. is the day, not to confuse you Yeah. Uh, with the last name Bishop, but at the same time this Bishop guy was on the loose and murdered his family, 
the greatest human I've ever met in my life, Steve Bishop, was born. And he's a friend of mine, a childhood friend of mine, my childhood best friend who wears a kilt now, mm-hmm. and he has a Prince Albert. Nobody needs to know that. His wiener is pierced. You know, nobody needs to know it. he's got nipple rings, and he's covered in tats, and he wears a kilt all the time. He was born this day. I don't know if he gets infections from those things. I don't know. We could have him as a guest and ask him yeah, about ask him Prince him Albert. But he was born on Wednesday, March 10th, 1976. Okay. So, so maybe he's related. So the um, Montgomery County, Maryland police examined evidence in Terrell County and autopsy reports in Chapel Hill. A spokesman said Bishop was being sought through a nationwide alert oh, sent so out North Monday Carolina. night. On Friday, well, that's where the bodies were found is in North Carolina. Oh, Chapel Hill. Yeah. yeah. Maryland is where they live. Oh, Maryland. So he drove a long ways. Drove all the way down to North to Carolina. Dump them. Yeah. Uh, that's why it took him so long to identify. Oh, on March 10th, you mean the same day that George Kennedy starred in the Blue Night on CBS? The exploits of a Los Angeles beat cop named Bumper Morgan? No, I have no idea. Or the same night that Dumplings were on NBC? A, a fat married couple, Joe and Angela Dumpling, own a New York deli? That sounds terrible. Starting, starring Geraldine Brooks and James Coco? <laughs> Two fat guys. So they, Two fat couple. So they, yeah. Maryland police obtained a murder warrant for Bishop, and Federal okay. Bureau of Investigation simultaneously obtained a warrant for interstate flight. They had also learned that Bishop had withdrawn a f- the few hundred dollars in his bank account on March 1st. Oh. And his bloody fingerprints were in the bathroom of his Bethesda home. Now keep in mind, a couple hundred bucks in the 70s is a lot more than it is today. That's right. But he was having, must have had money troubles because that's all, it said that's all he had in his bank account. Yeah, I mean, that's not a lot, but... F- if he was today's... a State Department employee, though, yeah, he should have been true. making more than that. Making bank. Maybe, that, maybe his kids were, like, just... Sucking up money left and right. Could Maybe be. they all had habits and ate a lot of Twinkies or his Something. wife smoked a lot of cigarettes. So the next day, Montgomery County Police said a Bank AmeriCard belonging to Bradford Bishop was used on the same day the bodies were discovered to purchase tennis shoes in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Huh, Jacksonville, North Carolina. The confirmation placed Bishop about 125 miles south of the place where the bodies were found the same day. And they reported that about midnight, Wednesday the 3rd, a Wilmington, North Carolina waitress said a man fitting Bishop's description, who seemed to have been drinking, entered the Copper Kettle Pancake House, tipped her $2 before he was served, ate, insulted some blacks in the restaurant, and left after he tipped her another dollar. (laughs) Oh, my God. Man, I almost got away with this murder, but I had to insult (laughs) these black people and eat some pancakes. Oh, my God. He said he had to get back on the road, she said. Police checked airport parking lots in Maryland, North Carolina, and Florida on the theory Bishop may have fled the country. He traveled overseas frequently and had a diplomatic passport, although it would not give him any special advantages in leaving the United States. By March 15th... Oh, before that, before March 15th, meanwhile... Oh, yeah. During all this, the Four Seasons take over the number one spot. So Bishop is driving around, insulting black people, eating pancakes, <laughs> and on his radio in his car, the Four Seasons come on with... <laughs> oh, what a night. Oh, late December, back in 63. What a very special time for me. So the usual lead singer of that band, did you know it was Frankie Valli? Oh, really? But he only sang the bridge sections. And if you listen to it, you can really tell it's Frankie Valley. Okay. And he sings the backing vocals in the bridge section. But uh, the drummer, Gary Polchi, does the lead vocals for this. Okay. Yeah, so that's kind of weird. Yeah, that's um, topsy-turvy a little bit. And the bass player, the former lead singer of the Critters, sang the falsetto part. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting. Um, Anything else? 
And nothing important. Okay, so by March 15th, a handwriting specialist in Maryland was examining the Bank AmeriCard receipt with Bishop's signature. March 15th, they were looking at his signature the same night that On the Rocks was on about a minimum security prison with four inmates and a friendly rivalry with their guards and a warden starring Rick Hurst, Bobby Sandler, and Jose Perez. I guess so. The same night as Good Heaven starring Carl Reiner. So that day... um, He's an Montgomery County police heaven. were sifting through a flood of reported nationwide sightings of Bradford Bishop. Okay. On the 17th, a news report stated that Bishop had been seen in Wilmington, North Carolina on March 9th, a week after the bodies were discovered. Yep. A man driving a maroon Chevrolet station wagon with Maryland tags bought gasoline in a new Hanover County gas station on the 11th, and a man matching Bishop's description was seen the same day in a tavern in Wilmington. A maroon station wagon. And speculation ran high that he may have stowed away on one of the 13 vessels leaving Wilmington March 2nd through the 10th, five of them bound for foreign ports. So he stowed, they think he they went might. to a bunch of bars, Yeah. got all hammered, and then probably got his away wiener a- out. Went stowed away on a ship somewhere. And stowed away at a barge. By Thursday, March 18th, Oh, oh! You mean uh, the night after the Bionic Woman was on on the seventeenth? That was my the night, favorite. The night that you know who starred in Bionic Woman? Lindsay Wagner. Yeah, Lindsay Wagner, y'all. Hello. She's the first female cyborg. I had a cyborg. Bionic Woman Barbie doll. Did you? Oh yeah. But that was hot. I loved her. And then March eighteenth, but that same night, uh, as Barney Miller, uh, Barney Miller was on. Okay. And this episode was called The Mole, and a burglar known as The Mole leads Harris and Wojo on a chase through the city's sewer system while Fish considers an operation. So by that day, the FBI disclosed that Bishop had been under recent psychiatric care oh. and must have a prescription drug to control his condition. Uh-oh. Flyers distributed nationwide by the FBI warned that he should be considered extremely dangerous and may have suicidal tendencies. And if you see this guy, give him some of this Adderall. Yeah, that's right. Give him some of these pills. They will help him. They calm him down. In Norfolk, probably police found the missing station wagon abandoned probably, in the Great Smoky probably, Mountain National lithium. Park. Are you listening? Sorry, it was probably lithium. All Give right. him some of this lithium yeah. uh, immediately and just force it down his throat. Now okay. say, the other, say that last thing. In Norfolk, police found the missing station wagon abandoned in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park near Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Oh, really? They found it? Yep. His car contained a bloody blanket, axe, and shotgun. Ugh, also gross. inside were bed clothing, dog biscuits, and two capsules of a depressant drug called Cirax, which Bishop had been taking. There's the drug, Cirax. Yep. If I just had known it was Cirax. The spare tire well was filled with blood. Ew. Time magazine ran a story with photos of Brad Bishop's son William and the gravesite in its March 22nd issue. So it closed with speculation by some of Bishop's friends that he might have been a spy and he and his family could be victims of a rub out. A rub out? Because oh, he was said. a spy? Yeah. This, just him. The same day, FBI announced it was searching for Bishop in the area around Spindale, North Carolina, near Gatlinburg. Spindale. And in Florida, where the FBI believed Bishop was. By Thursday, the dogs had turned up the man's scent in a visitor center on the outskirts of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. However, FBI agents in Knoxville, Tennessee, said the scent may be several weeks old. On September 27th, I'm going to flash forward a little bit. Chuck Launter, a Baltimore FBI agent, said they found his car March 18th at a campsite deep in the Great Smoky Mountains, and that's been the end of his trail. And, And we just wanted to watch Barney Miller, but instead we found his car. There have been no positive developments, although we've interviewed several hundred people now, including friends, associates, and campers. There's been a lot of publicity on this, and we still get reports of sightings from people around the country, but nothing's checked out. Huh. So they couldn't figure out a motive. 
There was no evidence of infidelity, financial problems, or job worries. So just no reason why he would have done this. Yeah. It had to be, but you said it had to be financial. I don't know. They they tried to figure that out. The the motive is very hazy. So if if he was rational, the man had a two-week head start on the police because they didn't connect the dots until two weeks after the bodies were yeah, dumped. Yeah, so he had a... So he could go anywhere around the world twice in that amount of time. The Washington Star... Unless he was in a balloon. The newspaper reported Bishop suffered from depression and insomnia and, and tried hypnosis and all of these things. The prevailing theory among investigators in 1977 was that Bishop left the car and began walking in the half-million-acre forest and wilderness. They felt he was somewhere in that great mountainous region, probably dead by then. In March 1978, authorities said they were no closer to developing a motive or finding Bishop. There was a sighting in the, from the Netherlands, June 1978. Really? Yes. Um, but they don't know. It, it didn't pan out like there was no nothing from that. So he's still missing. What? It, yes. They never found they him? never found him. And there's three major theories that dominate the case. Bishop, known to be under psychiatric care and taking medication for depression and suicidal tendencies, killed his family, disposed of them, and then in a fit of remorse took his own life in some remote location, is one theory. Another theory is that he killed his family and using his world travel background and fluency in several languages escaped capture by fleeing the country. A third one is that he was the sixth victim of a murder plot against the family and his body was disposed of elsewhere. Somewhere else to make it look like it was him. Yes. So then on January 6, 1979, the um, Associated Press reported police believe the most plausible theory was that he carried out an elaborate plan to disappear. Some officers believed he planned his disappearance by having one or more phony passports prepared that will enable him to travel abroad. I'll say he's a good looking man. You think? Looks like Frank Helland. Yeah, he does a little bit. Rich's brother. So they, um, in March 1986, on the 10th anniversary, there was a lead, a telephone call the week before Montgomery County, Maryland police from a man who said he had spoken with Bishop in a southwestern state in the early 1980s. Really? The caller made the connection only after reading about Bishop shortly before. Southwestern state? Mm-hmm. So, in April 1993, the Associated Press reported there was a cryptic letter from a bank robber serving a federal prison sentence who suggested Bradford Bishop may once have considered hiring a contract killer to murder his family. Investigators interviewed people named in the letter who said the author was someone who could have arranged to find a shooter to do the killings. So, they, he was, in talking to this bank robber and nobody really knew why or what what it was about yeah and they just had found that out after the fact the letter may have affected the bishop investigation had police found it in a timely fashion and in- interviewed its author the letter was found in september 1992 in bishop's file it's the state department the sheriff said county police and the fbi visited bishop's office the day the letter was postmarked and did not bishop's office his office and did not learn of its existence until 16 years later. Wait, what office? His office. He was a State Department official. Oh, oh his office. In 92, they looked at his office? No, they went there in 76, oh, but okay. they didn't think to look 
through his stuff. So they didn't know find out about its existence until 16 years later. Oh, no. That sucks. So um, the foregoing story was gleaned from newspaper accounts written as the events transpired because Bankston, the author of the letter, died in 1983. Mm. As of 2010, authorities believe Bishop was living in Switzerland, Italy, or elsewhere in Europe, or possibly in California. Huh. In 2014, the body of an unidentified man resembling Bishop, who had been killed by a car while walking along, along an Alabama highway in 1981, in was Alabama. exhumed by the FBI. Yeah, this that, that, online you can see this guy. Yeah. And it, do, it looks just like him, but it's not him, right? No, that that's a, a body that was exhumed. It, it, um, it was not him, no. It's not him, but it looks, if you look at it, it looks like him. In 2014, at the request of the FBI, forensic artist Karen Taylor created an age progression sculpture to suggest Bishop's projected appearance at, at about age 77. Yeah, that's what I've been staring at, is this sculpture. Yeah, using Taylor's sculpture, several alternative images were created to show the addition of facial hair and glasses. And so that's, that's pretty much everything we know about Bradford Bishop and who got yeah. away with murdering his family. That's crazy. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. This kind of stuff just uh, mesmerizes me because then I start thinking, I bet I've met that guy. I <laughs> you you met that guy. I know that guy. It's one. I'm going to start accusing people <laughs> that I see. Yeah. On the street of being that guy. All right, so I think that wraps it up for yeah, us. Yeah, that's good. That's a good episode. In this, the can. This is episode 44. I episode think. 44. Crazy. Farty far. I think it's episode 44. I think we're going to have school tomorrow, so i got to go to bed. Yeah, hang on. Let me just make sure it's episode 44. What are you doing? Looking up our website to see what episode was our last one. Oh, episode 43. This is episode 43? This is episode 43. All right. Well, this has been episode 43. Thank you for listening. Um, editing done by... Grover Cleveland Steamer. Uh, the, All right. Uh, you know, I have to give the credits. Music by Matt Truman Ego Trip, both the intro and the outro music. A lot of people love that music and they wonder where they can get it. Look up, just Google Matt Truman Ego Trip and find his albums because I'm telling you what, every damn song is good. That's right. Every one. Every one of his songs is good. Uh, and I don't say that about anybody. I have a lot of friends who have bands that their songs are not so good. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy them and tell me, yeah, I like your music. Well, whatever. But Matt Truman, actually, I really like his music. It's yes. really all it really is. awesome. It just rocks. So rate, review, subscribe. Rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends. Give and us five stars. Send us money. We have, a, we have a Patreon, which I guess you go there and you can just give us money. I don't know if that's how that works. We're supposed to give you like exclusive content on Patreon. Maybe we'll do that at some point. If somebody gives us money we'll we'll give you some we'll give you a peep show we'll do some porn yeah we'll send you dick pics yep that's right so oh here speaking of dick pics here comes chuck Chuck berry again get out of here chuck berry
American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.